We are two mothers who loves exploring the depth of life in all its shapes. Here we want to create a space to look at the transition into motherhood, what it might look like in different traditions and cultures, conscious parenting, the sacredness of birth, and the postpartum universe. By sharing stories, inviting guests, and together reconnect to the wisdom of our womb and Mother Earth through different practices. Welcome everybody to the Depths of Motherhood podcast. I'm your co-host, Danielle. This week, Angelica and I welcome Nathan Riley onto the show. Nathan Riley is a recovering conventional doctor, which he tells us all about in this episode. He trained in two medical specialities, then looked back and found himself disillusioned with the conventional maternity care model. Now, instead of serving the medical industrial complex, he serves women and their partners in achieving vitality. He has done extensive study in holistic lifestyle medicine, and his practice is based on the midwifery model. He borrows from the Eastern traditions like Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese medicine. He provides holistic support to healing and pregnancy long before he recommends surgery, hormonal contraception or other pharmaceuticals. This is an extremely deep conversation, exploring very important areas, which will offer you tools to make decisions aligned with your heart and intuition during your pregnancy. Maybe you're very aware that you have birthrights, that you have options, but stepping into this truth seems uncomfortable or and confusing. Nathan talks about how to reconnect to your truth and owning your birthing experience. We have been fed many fears which disconnect us from our innate wisdom. So how do we come home to remember all that is within us? Well, it starts here. In this episode, you'll learn ways to better understand and implement shared decision-making. Nathan offers a simple way to recognize if your birth team has your best interests at heart. We talk about the free birth movement and how to know if you are drawn to this through fear of conventional birthing practices, social media influence, or maybe just because it's what your heart is calling for. And finally, we round it up by talking about the cycle of life and death and how the rawness in these experiences can lead to deeper awakenings within us. We can't experience one without the other. It was an absolute pleasure to create this episode with Nathan. And we really, really appreciate the work that he's doing in the world. As always, all his information can be found in the show notes. Stay tuned till the end of the episode where we have our special feature, Mother Circle, where we share a story of one of the mothers from our community. And this is just a time to sit back and listen and hold space for a mother. If you would like to share your birthing story or a story that's been really life-changing as you've transitioned into motherhood, then please reach out. I've left my email in the show notes. Also, we have our free mother's community, which is on Discord, so away from social media that we 
all know and love. And if you want to support this podcast, if you're loving the work that we're doing, then please check out our Patreon. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. For now, let's just take a moment to take a deep breath and let your breath move all the way down to your tailbone. And as you exhale, feel the breath leave out of the nose or the mouth and just notice it passing up the spine all the way, releasing out of the body. And a nice steep inhale, filling your beautiful body up all the way to the fingers and the toes, the back, the front and the sides. As you exhale, open the mouth, release the jaw and completely release that breath. Welcome everybody to the Depths of Motherhood podcast. This week, Angelica and I are welcoming Nathan onto the show. Welcome, Nathan. Good morning, Danielle and Angelica. It's happening. Good happy morning. <laughs> so wonderful to have you here. So I was reading through your bio on your website and it says you're a recovering conventional doctor. <laughs> I'd love to know your take on that. Go a little bit deeper. Yeah, you know, the most people know my story, uh, at least the, the sort of nuts and bolts of it, but I just found I was so unhappy um, always being told how to care for people. When I was the one that went through all the school, I've got about a half a million dollars in school debt from med school. That's not mm -hmm. even undergrad. I didn't have any debt from that. And then I made the decision to go to one of the most expensive schools in the, uh, in the country at Temple. And wow. Uh, not realizing that, man, I, I put all this money and time and skill only to be to then end up in a system whereby I've got people from in every direction telling me how to do things. And it, those directives never even involved what is a patient's or a client in, in pregnancy. They're not sick, so they're not patients. Um, you know, a, a birthing woman, she has preferences. So why? <laughs> why are we not taking that into account as the top priority? And I just, wasn't, I just wasn't getting the sense that there was that respect for the people that I had done all this work and put all this time and money into take caring for it. It just ended up being like, well, here's the things you're gonna do, now go tell them how we're gonna do it. And I didn't, I didn't like that. And, and you know, that's, that's a, there's some hard habits there to break. You know, we're, we're basically incentivized to pretend like we're the captain of the ship and in birth or in my other specialty death, like I'm certainly not the captain. And um, that wore on me really, really wore on me. And I'm still, I say, I do still say that I'm recovering from uh, my time in the conventional model. It really beats the snot out of you in, in so many ways. It's very dehumanizing, you know, even as a doctor. So. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I loved when, when I read that, I was like, Ah, it feels spot on because I was a nurse too. And I, I felt like I needed a cleanse after the work that I had, well, the work that I'd done, but also just what I'd seen. So I, I really resonated with that. I'd also like you to just uh, share about your title on your Instagram. So Holistic Abgaini, what, what does that mean for people that have, it's the first time that they've heard that? That's a really, really good question. Nobody's asked me that yet. 
And really? uh, I actually ask my clients <laughs> that the first thing, like you came to me for a reason, what does holistic mean to you? And most people think it just means natural, mm. you know, instead of using an antibiotic, we're going to use an herb or whatever. Mm. And that's part of it. I mean, that's part of it. The term holistic has been diluted, I think. And we have to consider the root of that holism. So, so you as a person, whether, you know, Angelica or Danielle, when you think about what are the things that I need to feel best? Yes, there are some physical things or physical comforts. Sometimes you get a really raging infection. Sometimes you get in a car accident and we have to fix the physical. But is there something more th than the physical? When we go about our day, when we fall asleep at night, are we only worried about our magnesium levels and the blue light and all this other stuff? Or are we also worried about what's happening energetically with me? Mm. And that's, a, that's, the, that's when we start talking about vitality, when we start talking about um, our, our, our emotional body our mental body our spiritual body and if you sit with birth and you pay attention you know that there's more going on there than physical and that is actually what makes it fun and inspiring and that's really the mystique that probably drew many of us into into birth work um, especially the doctors who are like kind of bored with neurology and surgery and everything else and then they find OBGYN and it's like whoa there is something magical happening here mm -hmm. but for all the reasons I just mentioned the magic you lose the magic and as a, as a, as a practitioner, you, you lose sight of that magic. And I wanted to get closer to that magic. And so um, I work with people on more than just natural remedies. That is a part of it, right? Like I am in, we have a pharma free household for the very, almost completely. We probably have some Tylenol laying around somewhere, but um, <laughs> the reason I, I emphasize that is that if, if we continue to treat just the physical, we miss out on the opportunity to really make a person feel and, uh, and, and to live optimally. Um, whether it's when you're having a baby, when you're, when you're being faced with mortality at the end of your life. And, and so I take into, into account a lot of those things. I'm training in anthroposophy. I'm actually in the middle of uh, biogeometry training, which is really a radiesthesia. It's using pendulums and in order to, to gauge how is the body harmonizing with the, the greater field, you know, as you've probably heard it called. And, um, and that work does a lot, a lot more good than surgery and pharmaceuticals in my experience. Even if we do still need to use those occasionally, that shouldn't be our, our, our go-to. That's like for the acute emergency, we gotta get this person back to life because they were just mm -hmm. in a massive car accident or in birth work, occasionally a baby, you know, is determined to come out, not, not through the cervix, but actually through the abdomen. And, we have to use those skills sometimes for sure. And I have those skills, but not 40% of the time should we be doing C-sections. So, um, so I always ask, why does this baby not want to come out through the vagina? There's a reason there. And if we ask, we probably will get the answer, but we're not paying attention. We're too distracted. And so in my practice as a holistic OBGYN, I really get to not just do natural remedies. I get to sit down with a person for maybe 90 minutes at a time and really understand what's their story. What's their purpose? Where are they going? And, um, you know, do they have these past traumas that are stored up in their body? And can we release those in order to see a downstream effect before we even turn to pharmaceuticals and surgery? When you're, when you're speaking about that, it's, it just reminds me of the, the conversations that we've had in the, in the past on this, on this episode about uh, pregnancy and birth, uh, not just being the physical, which is exactly as you've explained there we've had it put in a box for us and had everything handed to us almost and it's really 
for me, I'll say I felt really disconnected and confused. For the first time in my life, I felt so confused being pregnant with all these options. And I felt so far away from, from my own intuition. I had to do a lot of work of reconnecting to that because what I actually thought was my intuition was somebody else's beliefs. So going through pregnancy and then giving birth and then on the other side with the work that I've been doing, I'm really starting to be able to tap into uh, my own intuition and to the invisible and I wonder what your thoughts are on um, so we know that people have birthrights we know that they have options but how come that it's so hard for them to connect to their beliefs and values around childbirth and motherhood and and really how can what advice would you give them to to tap into to their intuition, to what their, their real needs are? Oh, that's a really, really good question. You, you had actually sent this to me in an email and I thought about it way longer than I normally think about questions because <laughs> this is really the crux of what we're all out there hoping to do. If we wanna change the care, if we wanna change the world, we have to change the way we care for women, period. Right. Women don't have any power in the mm-hmm. world and we know that. And that's a problem because the divine feminine really is the, we are all born of that dark goddess energy. And we are all a product of conception through the lens of the divine feminine. The divine masculine holds the space for the divine feminine. And when we reduce everything to just these physical things, it allows us to have some perception of control. And controlling nature is not any more possible than it is controlling something as natural as birth should be. And like I said, pregnant women are not patients. Pregnant women are I call them clients for lack of better terms, but they are just people. And as Ram Dass says, we're all just trying to walk one another home. Mm. So when we ask a question like that, we have to check our premises. You know, the big question, so many people reach out to me, like they're doubtful about who I am and whatever, and that's fine. I don't, I don't need to be everybody's friend. But then the people, when they get a little deeper, they're like, why can't more people speak like you? Why can't more people talk like you? Why can't women understand that they've got options here, that they have autonomy, that they've got sovereignty? And I think we need to consider our premises. We're all people, both the doctors, nurses, our, our patients, the people that we're hoping to serve, our neighbor, the lady in front of us at the you know, grocery store that's taking too long pulling out her coupons or whatever. We have to check our premises because not everybody realizes that you have full autonomy over every decision in your life. Yet, nurses, doctors, barbers, we all have to get permission to do the thing that we train to do. And as people that, that we're trying to serve, we have to consider the premise that we get permissions to do everything, to drive. Um, the barber has to have a license to cut hair. You have to be 21 to buy alcohol. You have to, a homeowners association might have to give you permission to paint your house purple. Yeah. Um, we need free speech. We need laws that allow us to practice our religion or our spiritual beliefs. I mean, we need permissions to do everything in our world. Mm. And, um, and we're also taught that, hey, if you, don't, if you wanted to have any life after high school, you need to finish high school and then you need to go to college. And then you get, go broke on university, but you're still chasing that promise. And then, you're, you, know, um, and then you, you, know, you go to medical school or whatever else. And this whole time you're being trained that there's somebody above you that knows better whether it's your religious leaders, it's your politicians, it's the attending that's overseeing your first C-section, whatever. There's always somebody that's better than you. So you're constantly trying to prove that I have the chops to do this. And, um, and what that, the problem with that is, is that it, 
is indoctrinated our entire society into thinking that I can't possibly have the answers. There must be somebody else out there who knows how to fix me or knows how to, to do, how to quote, live right. And that puts us on this crazy hell-bending path of self-help. You're always broken. You're always, you're not broken. I'm telling everybody right now, you're not broken. You have all the answers right there. But you, you need to make the active decision to step out of this framework that there's a hierarchy, which is patriarchal in nature. You have to step out of that hierarchy and you have to own everything that you decide on. And when you get pregnant, that is a big responsibility. There is all of that responsibility in you. There's no nurse, doctor, religious leader, politician who's going to save you from the fact that you're pregnant. And that's complicated because, you know, the abortion conversation comes up all the time in my circles. And I am completely in favor of a, of a woman's autonomy. The problem with, the, with like the everybody needs to, nobody can have an abortion thing is that we have a society that also doesn't reward people for having a baby, even if that person doesn't feel like they have the resources to do that. So it's a really, there's a lot of nuance here and we love everything to fit into a binary. There's the good and the bad doctor, but everybody is in the same boat here. We're all gonna die as old naked babies someday. And we all need to just remember that every decision of every single day is a decision that is yours and yours alone. But if you've been, if you've been you know, indoctrinated through a system of education or you know, religion, you know, the political party that you have been, you know, sworn to, it makes it very hard, I think, for people to actually disconnect from this idea that, hey, somebody else has a better option for you, and to reconnect with their intuition in order to make a decision that's truly theirs. And that comes with the condition that you also have to be, you have to be willing to accept the consequences. And, and that's not also not something because there's always an insurance policy, there's always somebody to blame. It's on you, whether you're a new father, you're a new mom, it's on you. This is your life. You have to make those decisions for yourself. And fortunately, there are people like me and you guys to help guide them with information, with support, et cetera. But this idea that we need somebody to tell us how to live our life is the biggest myth and the biggest lie, I think, about society at large. Thank you, Nathan, for yeah. sharing that. Yeah, that's beautiful. It makes me think about um, <clears throat> when I decided to, to give birth in my home and with me and my partner and you know that I had to I knew that okay it's not illegal in my country but it's also not very common <laughs> so I knew I was definitely going to bump into some yeah like bumps on the road but it's like it's just so it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking and it takes a lot of energy to fight with with those people and I would do it um I would do it over and over again like these people I'm talking about like the uh, the pediatricians that we had to go to and um, and it feels more like they're looking at you through a lens and want you to mess up right. and or if you are you know doing something a little bit that it's not really according to their um yeah their map or, or their ideas on things then you are a hazard to your child and it's just so frustrating to to know what i know but not being able to you know i can't 
I can't beat you know a flower into flowering quicker so Mm. um, how am I going to explain to these people that okay I made this decision like pure out of love out of knowledge out of what I believe is the best for me myself and my family and my you know my newborn child um and being seen as a total crazy person but we have to take that I think we have to like it has to we just have it just has to stop as you say everything that you mentioned um it won't change unless we change right 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 yeah there's definitely um something I say I talk a lot about is is that if you even consider the training of a doctor I'll leave nurses out of this but nurses are also um, complicit in this it, it, it's a sol- it's a selection process for the person that can stand best in the lines so you, your doctor the, the personality type that wants to be a doctor is somebody mm-hmm. who seeks control through guidelines like mm-hmm. they know the best answer on the test they've proven it through high mm-hmm. school they were the best scores <laughs> through college they were the best scores they had three majors they were taking 21 credits a semester and they crushed it look at how great i am and the teacher says you can move on you take the MCAT, you get the best score in the MCAT. You go to med school, you get the best scores in, in med school. You go to residency and you're now with the cream of the crop and you're going to show that I'm even better than that person. And the attendings, if you're paying attention, paying attention they're out wanting one another. And, and the whole thing is that the, the right answer on the test from the professional lens is how well can I follow the guidelines and the, and the policies and procedures put into place by my practice, by the hospital, by the state, by the federal government, whatever. So it actually is a selection for people that like to follow the rules. There's very, very few right brain thinkers in medicine. Mm -hmm. The right brain thinkers were weeded out a long time ago. I happen to be left-handed, very artistic and creative in mind. And that did not serve me. That was a challenge for me to Mm. be creative about how can we best support this person? Right. It's not, that's not what other doctors do. And so we have to cut them some slack because we have a system and a, a large for, in large part, our society demands that doctors be as smart as they are, which, in, in, and if our only metric is how well did you score in the test and mm-hmm. how well did you stay between the lines and not look left and right, it's sort of like the Kentucky Derby just happened a few weeks ago. The best mm-hmm. horse is the one that focuses forward and runs forward, not even thinking about how incredible the grandstand looks or how <laughs> beautiful the, the horse to the right saddle is. I mean, it sounds silly, but that's exactly put on your blinders and do the job. Mm -hmm. And what you're, what you're, what you're getting to Angelic, I think was related to shared decision-making and Mm -hmm. it goes back to personal responsibility, but midwives do this naturally because they don't have a lot of oversight bodies that are telling them how they need to do it, maybe apart from their license. Mm -hmm. So their ability to engage with people and, uh, and, and their client's sovereignty is actually dependent uh, the success of their practice is dependent on their ability and willingness to engage in that way. Mm. But doctors and nurses don't have that same, um, dare I say, luxury. I, I always, I always tell people, I mean, I wish I would have been a midwife. So I try to be a midwife as much as I can as a, as a doctor. Mm. I hope that you're enjoying this week's episode. I'd like to take a moment to share a little bit about this week's sponsor, Evolving Humans. Evolving Humans teaches the most effective energy healing technique which we can use to restore balance throughout our whole body. Personally, I have found this practice to be extremely simple and deeply transformative. 
When I mastered this technique, I was able to regain power over my life. I finally stopped running and distracting myself from my emotions. This technique teaches you to feel the energy in your body and be with it so it can be seen and loved and without any force or suppression. And from that space, it finds its own path which clears you of any unnecessary tension. Have you ever suffered with a chronic disease, injury, mental turbulence, heartache, depression, anxiety? I could go on and on. The question is, what do all of these expressions have in common? They create a sensation in your body which creates a discomfort or a pain. What do you usually do when you feel something like this? We are taught to do whatever it takes to remove the pain. Wouldn't you like to heal yourself without relying on an external source? Like I mentioned before, it's so simple. It takes no mental power to do this. You literally just have to feel. Evolving Humans are offering a 10% discount on their course, which will share everything you need to know. Visit evolvinghumans.com and use the code motherhood22 and I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, it, it reminds me when I was a nurse and it was all about the numbers. Have you got through all of these, this list of to do, but really you're not really taking into account the holistic needs of who you're caring for. And when we were just about, when we were getting into shared decision-making, I'm just wondering what kind of energy would you draw in to, to go and have these conversations with your caregivers? And I mean, so I've had something this week where I really had to step into my strength and my courage. What, what would you say to the people that you're working with who are going into this, these meetings with these caretakers if they're going into hospitals as well, or maybe they have a midwife joining them or a gynae that they just don't feel, uh, they don't feel confident in sharing their truth and there's a blocking off in the throat. And no matter how much they learn, how much they, how much they absorb, and whatever their truth is consciously, there's that subconscious um, belief that they don't have control, that they don't have a say, that what, what their needs are, are not important. So what yeah. would you give as a, as a tip for them or advice? That's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to know how a person shows up in attendance to, a, to, to your birth until yeah. you're there in the moment. And um, there was a, there's a doctor down in Atlanta, Dr. Brad Boots-Taylor, who's a friend of mine, and he just lost his privileges at the hospital, not for something that went wrong, but because they just didn't really like how, I think, much freedom he was giving his patients through his shared decision-making. And he even, even wrote a book called, I think it's called Shared Decision-Making or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. I can send you that link later, but he actually created this, this sort of inventory. It's a, it's a questionnaire. And on the questionnaire, there's like 10 questions. And if, if eight, at least eight of those questions, you're in alignment with your doctor, then that's probably a good fit. Nice. And the questions are really related to how the physician communicates to you. How does the physician touch you? Does the physician show up and are they present with you? Mm -hmm. Because what we're, we're lacking most in our interaction as physicians with patients is not time. 
That's a big one. But the mm-hmm. biggest thing we're lacking is presence. Mm-hmm. So we're not able to be present with the person that we did all of this training and we have all of this knowledge and these big, big old brains of ours. If we mm-hmm. can't be present with our, with our, with the, with a, a patient, we don't really have the ability to engage them with shared decision making. And there are time constraints. There are billing considerations. There are insurance company pressures and mm-hmm. and all those other things I mentioned. So I would say that if you don't feel like your doctor is is really present with you, if they're not really seeing you and, and, and bearing witness to what you're going through, and, and that could look like as something as simple as, you know, you go home after a long day of work. If your partner isn't looking at you, if they're kind of all over and they're like, oh, how's your day? Okay, really good. That's awesome. Wow, cool. And they're just kind of going through the, the, the sort of stuff, like the general questions. And you're in the meantime in the doorway crying because you just had something horrible happen. Like I had, I've had like babies die on shift and my wife was so compassionate and supportive and just holding space for that. Mm. That is presence. And you know it when you feel it. It's not right. something you see. It's not empathy training, the stupid nonsense that we teach doctors. If you don't know how to empathize with a person, you shouldn't have been a doctor, right. but that isn't incentivized. There's no test for that. Like I like you know, go back to what, the, what I said earlier. So, so this bearing witness to a person is actually far more important than all the stuff that you've studied for years. And that's why we're hitting this disconnect. So I would say, come up with a list of questions that are about, about things that are important to you. Heck, if you're considering home birth, but you're with an OBGYN, ask them about what they think about a home birth. Mm-hmm. Even in their big brains, mm-hmm. they know that the data supports home birth for most people, even if ACOG's not going to put their full bore support behind it. But if they if they brush it off, it means that they didn't they didn't ask why are you asking that? That's the bearing witness part of the shared decision making process. So a good example is one of the farm midwives was over for dinner uh, a couple of years ago, and she had said that um. She was just giving, she was just, you know, we were just shooting the breeze around dinner. And she said that a person had had a bad hospital birth and then came to her. And, and, and she said, I will not go back to the hospital. I'm determined to have a V, you know, a, a V back mm-hmm. at home. And the, and the midwife, instead of saying, well, you know, there's a risk of rupture and blah, 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 blah. Like, yes, you have the information. Great. Is this what this person is asking for? Mm. No. And this midwife smartly said, tell me about your last birth. And that opened the waterworks. And it was this traumatic, you know, healthy mom, healthy baby, yes. But the experience of being strapped down crucifixion style, not being spoken to in a mm. respectful way, a blue sheet two inches in front of her face, that mm. was the part that made her so scared about having a hospital birth again because that was her only birth experience. Mm. So a midwife naturally shows up and is present with this. And they ask the why behind what a person is asking. And I think that if your doctor or your midwife or your nurse or whatever is not willing to consider why are you asking this of me, then they're not really listening. They're mm-hmm. waiting to hear the, the question that they have the answer to. And I'm sure they have the answer to the question, but mm-hmm. they have to understand the why behind the question. So I'm not sure that there's an easy way to approach this, but I do think that you, you need to realize that you can exercise the right to fire your doctor because it's not a good fit. There are other people out there that want a doctor that's just going to give them the, the quick data-driven response. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that are going to be seeking more of a shared decision-making process. They're going to be seeking witness and, and presence 
with the person that's going to be ushering in this incredible rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And that's important. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. They might have their ego and they, you know, might be hurt a little bit, but that's not on, that's on them. That's not on you. Mm-hmm. So we, again, have to just become comfortable with saying thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. I'm good just where I am. Right. Um, and that's powerful to say, you know what? I'm good. I'm good without that. <laughs> it's powerful. Yes. But we're not, we're never exercising that. And for many women, they're never even in a hospital until they have a baby. So it's something that's mm. not practiced, but I'm giving people permission to practice. Yeah. And them sentences, them phrases really help when you feel feeling lost in the moment, just to say, it's okay. Or just to say, can I have a moment? And it sounds so simple, but we forget them yeah. simple phrases that can give us some space. I'd love to um, know your thoughts on giving birth at home alone. And if you've noticed anyone that you've um, been connected with, who's actually going for that path, because they're feeling traumatized over maybe a previous birth or what they've heard from people around them. Well, you and I probably agree more than you, more than you know, even in how you asked the question. Again, I'm doing that. I'm doing the thing I just, I just uh, told you guys about it. Like, what is behind the question? And you have led me into sort of the, uh, the sort of uh, Gordian knot of, home birth and free birth. So first Mm -hmm. off, if I was going to have a baby, if I could have a baby, I would probably have a free birth. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the ultimate exercise in sovereignty and owning your personal responsibility and accepting whatever the outcome is. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I love the idea. I mean, talk about standing in your truth. Like you are making every decision and you're making those decisions knowing that whatever happens, happens. And I am okay with that. I mean, that is really where we need to get back to. Mm. The problem is, is that the free birth people, I won't name any names. They don't like the truth that many people are feeling compelled to free birth out of fear of the system. Mm. And within the system, people say, how on earth could you be so crazy to have a home birth, let alone a free birth? But again, they need to check their premises. People are afraid of being in the hospital because there's a lot of really bad stuff coming out about hospital-based birth. I lived it. You lived it. We, we know that the way that we're caring for people in the hospital is not a good way. It's not, it's, it, it, it needs improvement to say the very least. Um, we're traumatizing people, even if they have an unmedicated, undisturbed, whatever type of birth, the constant distractions, the... Mm this sort of systematized, protocolized way of caring for you during this incredibly sacred process in and of itself makes a lot of people feel traumatized. Like that is not what birth should look like. I'm, I'm speaking from the, through the lens of maybe a woman who did have a bad birth experience. So for some reason, it feels icky. And there's a, a Dr. Tracy Vogel. She was an attending of mine when I was a med student on anesthesia. I just happened to meet her one day. And she has a whole trauma-informed practice from the lens of an anesthesiologist who gets to see people in multiple births. She's behind the curtain with them during C-sections. She's placing epidurals. And she started picking up on this as well, which is why she and I have remained friends, even though she was my attending when I was a little old med student. And, um, and that trauma is not something that we, it's not measurable. It's a person's experience. So it's measurable in the sense that you can tell that something was wrong. But if we're not willing to ask, like, why are people being more afraid of a hospital birth, which purports safety and comfort and all, we've got all the ORs and the meds, why would you not want to have a a hospital birth? 
And why would you actually instead have a home birth or even worse for through the eyes of the system, a free birth without any professional there? So I think many people in the free birth community are unwilling to recognize that that is a big reason. And, um, and I would say that real free birth is not a compulsion to avoid the system. It's when you're called to be alone and to roar in all of the glory of your divine feminine. I've seen that. My wife and I had a home birth a couple uh, months ago. That's real power. And even a hospital birth that's unmedicated, undisturbed, there's real power there, but people aren't paying attention. And um, I, you know, my friend, Marin Green that I mentioned, she exhibits that raw power in her work, like through her, her midwifery training program. And she's also had 10 babies and she is a lioness. She is gonna give birth in the way that she wants to do it. And for all intents and purposes, she is a free birther because she didn't need the support. She didn't need to per the permission to move in this way or that way. And um, when she did ask for support, that support was just merely witnessing from afar. Again, it's that presence. Mm -hmm. When women used to care for women before the medical industrial complex wrested it from the hands of midwives, this ancient practice of space holding was a thing that people did for people. And we need to get back to that. I don't see that there, I don't see any heroism in free birth. Um, and I won't name any names, but some of the big advocates for free birth are themselves, I think, very deeply wounded. And I think they're very afraid of the system. So they hide behind a couple thick canvas layers so that they can kind of keep doing their thing. But they brush off formal education and then they guide people to having actually traumatic births themselves. I've met people in my practice who have gone through these programs and they don't feel any better. Sometimes they feel worse than the experience they had in the hospital or it's their first birth. And they were like, I'm gonna have a hospital birth the next time because that was, that was hell. Mm. On the other hand, there are people like Marin and her, her indie birth school. Uh, they teach midwifery from this wise woman model, um, which is effectively free birthing because it prioritizes a woman's sovereignty and personal responsibility. And if you, if you want to be able to act on your own responsibility through your own sovereignty, you need to have as much information as you're willing to accept. You don't need to read every single book, but if there's a person out there that has good information, that is important for you so that you can actually act through informed consent. Mm. So these women that have come to me that have been traumatized by the, these, these various groups that are, that are you know, anti-system and anti-men and all this other stuff, women go to them and they don't find what they're looking for because they're not being empowered, they're being they're, they're actually becoming more fearful. Mm. And that's a problem that actually leads to um, some serious trauma and some poor outcomes later because they feel shamed because they transferred to the hospital or they shamed, they feel shamed. It was their fault that they had the bad birth outcome. That's not sovereignty. That's not free birth. Having a free birth is not a guarantee that you're going to have a healthy outcome. That's, that's just part of being a mammal. So if any of them are listening, I don't want them to think I'm against them. I just want to, I first want to honor them for wanting to change the maternity care system in the US. I'm talking about people that are leading these free birth movements. And like I said, I would have had a free birth if I could have a baby. I mean, that is the way to have a baby, in my opinion. I, I love that concept. It's not for everybody. Um, but those same people that I'm honoring, I also want to encourage them to do their homework and put birthing women first. This is not a matter of guilting or shaming people when they have bad outcomes, this is important. Like this is a sacred process. And if you're preparing for a free birth, I think it's, um, it's a great option. If you prioritize your sovereignty and intuition above all, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, 
And you have to be willing to accept the consequences of any decision, regardless of the outcome. And that in and of itself, even if you have a bad outcome, can actually be very healing for many people. Because you, for the first time in your life, you made a decision that wasn't being guided by your political leaders, your religious leaders, or some doctor who's super smart but has no concept of anything spiritual. <laughs> we need to get spirituality mm -hmm. back into this, into this conversation. Hopefully you don't get any hate mail there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I think it's so important that you mentioned that and that we, um, when it comes to maternity or to women's health or, or health with people in general, that we need to come back to being compassionate no matter the outcome. That's right. That's so, right. Yeah. And I can resonate with that, what you said totally, because I was influenced by the movement of being at home alone but I really didn't have anyone to ask the why so what you were speaking about before so I didn't even know what was underneath until the moment came right. and I was so surprised and I felt so because I had, I ended up going to the hospital for the last 30 minutes and I felt so much um, shame and guilt afterwards and I, I didn't even want to tell anyone my story especially um, the people that I've been connected to through this movement and also my friends at home who were who were advocates for births within the system because they were like yeah you know we told you you should have gone to the hospital in the first place so I love everything that you said there because it really just encompasses everything and gives us chance to um, to hear them thoughts and to also see what's happening around us and what can influence us and then actually it's asking the right questions and coming back to ourselves mm -hmm. and so I, I feel that really like ties us into something that we spoke about when I first connected to you and you shared about the death and birth center because it is that whole cycle so I'd love to hear what's happening with that if there's any movement yeah uh yeah so my original idea was what if we could have birth and death happening on the same property, immersed in nature, grow all of our own food, have our clean water supply, use mm. biogeometry, use crystals, use salt lamps. Let's make this the most comfy, cozy birthing environment based on the preferences of the people that we're looking to serve. And many people resonate with that because they don't have to totally abandon the quote safety of the system. But then they also have people who are actually creating an environment where they feel seen and heard without uh, having a very low threshold to intervene. That was kind of my idea. And we'd have a common meeting space. We'd have all the postpartum healing modalities right there. We'd have saunas. We'd have cold immersion tubs. We'd have meditation practice. We'd have everything. I mean, all the holistic lifestyle stuff I do as well. And um, fortunately, Marin Green and I of Indie Birth, I was talking to her one day when we were all out at the park, all like 15 of our kids together. <laughs> and uh, she was like, I'm ready to do this. And I'd been working with a group, a, a team of people who weren't really, they were kind of dragging their feet. There wasn't a lot of motion there because they wanted to have all of those attributes, birth, death, biohacking, blah, 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 blah. Let's make a massive, incredible retreat space, which I love. But we got to start somewhere. And um, Marin and I have officially... Um, with the help of Stu Fishbein, Bliss Young, Sarah Rosser, who's a farm midwife, and some other, Rick Safries, David Hayes. I mean, people are all over the place. Christine Laria are coming out and saying like, you know, let's do it. Let's make this happen. So we're going to open up a, a property. We found a, um, a property in Eastern Kentucky, 300 acres, former 
bread and bed and breakfast that closed during it's closing now, but basically they decided with COVID they just needed to wrap up. And the owner's like 90 years old. They've owned this property for like 50 years. It is pristine Appalachian wilderness. It's incredible. And there's nine bedrooms, seven and a half baths. We're gonna start offering this as a retreat center, uh, a residential space similar to the farm, Inamay's legacy, whereby women who have any issue under the sun can come and actually have the birth that they're dreaming of. And what I'm referring to is if you, let's say, have really bad, uh, let's say you have a breech birth, you know, a, a baby's in, in the breech presentation. Most midwives are not able to attend that based on their license. If they're unlicensed, they may not have the practice or the skill to feel comfortable with that. So mm. many women are traveling far and wide to find a doctor or a midwife that will attend a breech birth. And there's no, there's no special magic to breech birth. There are techniques you can use to, res, you know, to relieve a baby that's a little stuck in the pelvis, but um, it's a, it's a practice that hasn't been taught for years now. I mean, it's something that I never even got, I wasn't even taught until I sought it out from Stu Fishbein when I was in residency out in, in LA. And um, so what we're gonna do there is offer a space for people who have, for women who have breech presentation, for people who have some borderline blood pressure issues, for people who have maybe gestational diabetes, especially twins and breech. Those are the two groups of people that are really finding a hard way to have a birth outside of a hospital. And of course, there's going to be like a person who has raging blood pressures, and we have to say this is not a, this is probably not the best option for you. We're going to have to say no. But for the vast majority of people, you know, being in the hospital is going to lead to more interventions and worse outcomes. That's just what happens. Mm -hmm. So we want to provide that space for people. We also want to um, the the type the name of it is the Indie Birth Midwifery Institute. So this is going to be a brick and mortar training grounds for any midwife who wants to learn how to care for for birthing women through the wise woman model of care with the support of a couple of OBGYNs that are not involved unless they actually have to be. And um, it would be a site where we can do breach training for anybody around the world. I mean, this is a super unique opportunity in order to provide a, a, a training space for anybody out there, whether you're an OBGYN resident, a labor and delivery nurse, you've heard about what home birth looks like, come and, and stay with us for a month and you'll get to see a handful of births and you're going to get immersed into the wise woman midwifery care model. And that's actually, that's the life raft that I'm trying to build as opposed to banging down the doors of the big hospitals and saying, we demand change. Nobody likes protesters anymore. Like protesters just turn people off. But what if we can actually just create a life raft? Our protest is thanks, but no thanks. Like I said, you know, that's not working for me. Here's another option. And so this would be open to anybody out there who's struggling with this type of decision-making, come and check out the property. And if this is a, a place where you wanna come and live for a little bit until your baby comes, you've got labyrinths, you've got mountains, you've got streams, you've got potable spring water right on site in a large campus of other people that are like-minded. They're gonna hold space and ask the why. And I think that is, uh, well, it's super exciting. The, uh, the, the website for that is, yes. the, is the Indie Birth Institute org i-n-d-i-e and i'm super honored to be a part of the project that is amazing nathan seriously i'm so happy to hear this i've been following the emails and seeing that things are coming to life so congratulations this is truly amazing and deeply Thank inspiring oh, wow and so i'm going to put all the information in the show notes is there anything else that you want to share with the audience where they can find you anything that you have to offer 
I do just want to honor anybody who's listening. If you've made it this far in the interview, I think it's really, really critical that we honor not the doctors that are flipping the, the script or the nurses that are flipping the script. If you're listening to these types of interviews, figure out a way that you can support this because I want to honor you for even listening. I want to honor you for engaging with this with an open mind and open heart. There's something about a listener of your podcast, and I've listened to your podcast now. There's something about it that tells me that you're actually tuning in to your intuition. Something about this resonates. And it's going to require every person out there to, to try to shift the needle a little bit. So if, if whether it's my project or it's your podcast or my own podcast or whatever, keep engaging with this type of information and these types of conversations, because this is really where it's at, is having more conversation. There's not a lot of people out there that want to have discourse anymore. And, and even you guys, as much as we agree, there's probably things we disagree on. Let's have a conversation about those things as well. It's mm -hmm. the conversation. It's the, it's the evolution together, standing shoulder to shoulder as opposed to head to head. That's really going to shift the needle. So I'm very honored to be on your show. Um, Instagram is Nathan Riley, OBGYN. And um, my website's Nathan, uh, it's uh, belovedholistics.com. I do see clients one-on-one. -on -one. I also have a collaborator program for any midwives, birth educators, lifestyle coaches, or whatever that need to have a, an occasional consultation with an MD for their client or for themselves. And um, in order to keep their, their patients from going to the doctor and risking out of a home birth or whatever, I mean, that's a different conversation. But um, I'm here trying to support midwives in every way that I can instead of going into my own practice and attending births with my own home birth kit. I'm trying to support as many midwives and doing what midwives do so well. So the collaborator program is, is a good option for any midwife out there that is struggling to find a doctor in their area that respects them and, and, and their clients. So they can find that on my website as well. Incredible, thank you. Angelica, do you have, do you have any more questions, Angelica, before we, we close? <laughs> no, I'm just like sitting here with, uh, I don't know, a lot of joy, like just sparkling through my body right now, just listening to you guys and, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you, Nathan, for coming on today and and share your wisdom and and the work that you're doing for yeah for for humanity. It's absolutely incredible and inspiring. So thank you once again for for being here with us today. It's a it's a true honor, it really is. Thank you. Hello, beautiful ones, and welcome to the Mother's Circle. This is Angelica speaking, and today I'm going to share a birth story from a dear friend, Sarah, who lives in Sweden, and why, yeah, why we chose to reach out to Sarah and, and, and share this beautiful story is because I feel it's so important to also share that birth can go so quickly. <laughs> And I think that we, we're being so programmed sometimes that it can take, and it's obviously really good to know the fact that it can take days, you know, you can be in labor for days and days, and, but also it can be the complete opposite. So if you have an undisturbed, like no interventions um, and a fully healthy body, a birth can be actually in between two to four hours and if I myself would have known that I think that my daughter would have come way way earlier as yeah as I was like it can't go this quickly it can't go this quickly so I was not flowing with 
what was happening. So therefore, I want to share this this inspiring uh, birth story uh, from Sarah. And thank you so much, Sarah, for for allowing us to share your beautiful story of your of your second child, your son Brody. So here we go. On Saturday, August the seventh, I felt labor was close. And I hung up the breath as I received from my sister during the mother-baby blessing ceremony. On Monday at 7.11 p.m. I felt my stomach dropping and called my daughter's father to come pick her up. Around 8 p.m. when my daughter had left I called my doula. Meanwhile my mother was freaking out shouting, Who is going to deliver the baby, Sarah? I told her passive-aggressively, I am. My doula told me that she would call around for a midwife to come help me. About 15 minutes later, I called her again to tell her that it was getting more intense. She timed my contractions and we determined that I was indeed in the first stage of labor. Yet it can be hours and even days before baby is born. She told me to relax, watch a movie or something. We hung up and short after I felt a sudden urge to empty my bowel and ran to the bathroom. And there on the bathroom floor the water broke. I sat down in the bathtub as my partner was filling up the birthing pool. My mother called my doula and told her my water broke. We had a mess estimated that I was about six centimeters dilated and that even though the water had broke it can still be hours before the baby is born. After my mother hung up the phone I felt a need of getting to my bed, a futon mattress on the floor and rushed out of the tub. I roared to my partner and mother that I needed them to be still to calm down and center themselves. Then I started moaning in a low voice, down, down, down. My partner stopped filling the pool and came to support me by putting pressure on my lower back. I placed my hand on my portal, vagina. My whole hand went in and I could feel the head. Just to be sure it was the head, I asked my mother to look during the next contraction. When the next contraction came, she looked and said that the head was there. And this is when I began to push. With the contraction, meanwhile my hand was steady, put on his head with resistance to minimize tearing. When the head was out, I waited for the next contraction. And with it, brooded came spiraling out. I turned him over so that the water can flush out from his lungs, meanwhile rubbing his back. And then I heard his voice for the first time yelling, Nah! I placed him on my chest and all I could do was laugh. I called my doula who was shocked over how fast everything had gone. She arrived later on that evening and helped me birth the placenta, which took longer than giving birth to my son. We decided to let him stay connected to the placenta 
and had a ceremony for them a couple of days later as the cord had dried and we were able to burn it off. The most empowering moment of my life. Brodhir, my son, he basically gave birth to himself. Brodhir is an old Norse name that the English word brother originates from. Traditionally, the name is never given to the firstborn son, but since we are rebels, we felt, why not? In the Swedish language today, we say bror instead of brodhir, and most Swedes don't even know that brodhir and bror are old Norse names. Thank you, Sarah, for letting us share your beautiful birth story. If you want to connect with Sarah, you can find her on Instagram as Bohemian Goddess Vibes. We will also put her information on the show notes as she is offering many beautiful um, yoga and workshops online and one-on-ones. She is a storyteller and works with somatic movements um, and a wonderful human being who is here to be of service. So please don't be afraid to connect with Sarah if if you're feeling called to the work that she's doing and and follow her journey as a mother of two. Mama Ro-